Well, this morning we are continuing our series on authenticity in our Christian life, and it's a series that we've been following um, all through our study of 1 John, what it means to live like an authentic Christian. So if you have a bulletin, you have an outline in there, and you're welcome to follow along in that outline. But let's take our our Bibles and let's turn to 1 John chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 11 through 18, the passage that was read in the Scripture reading this morning. All of us have probably met that person that's really difficult to love, right? Something about them. You come into contact with them and the hair on the back of your neck stands up. There's just something about them that you find difficult. And you know, as I've shared people that I've had struggles with through the years, I know a pastor is not supposed to have struggles, but... uh, I have, from time to time, met those individuals. I was informed by somebody, but Rob, remember, you're that person to someone else. We can be that person that's difficult to love, too. And what we need to understand as followers of Jesus Christ is this. We have a call to evidence authentic Christian love. This is laid out so clearly in Scripture that as followers of Jesus Christ, it's expected of us. It's part of who we are. We are to be that person who loves authentically. And that's what we want to see this morning as we come to 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 18. Now, we're going to begin with a very basic premise, and that is that Christian love is important to God. And we know this because when we look in the Scripture, look at this 11th verse. Very clearly, we are commanded to love one another from the beginning. When teaching started in the church, based on the teaching of Jesus Christ and the apostles, there was this foundational truth that we are to love one another. Look at verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Certainly, this was part and parcel of Jesus' teaching. When we look at John's gospel, he writes this, words that were recorded by him of the Lord Jesus Christ when they were in the upper room as Jesus was preparing for his sacrifice on the cross. His marching orders to his disciples were as follows. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. God expects us to love one another. He expects us to be people who evidence love in the way that we interact with one another. We are to be followers of Christ, but in following Christ, we will follow that example of love. As a matter of fact, the defining mark of a disciple that Jesus identifies is this. By this will all people know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. But that brings up a question. We're talking about love, but what is love? When we think about what love is, we can hear a lot of definitions. But to me, the one that makes the most sense is this. Love is a decision commitment. It is where we choose to commit ourselves 
to the good and the benefit of those around us. It is showing favor and kindness to those around us. That's what love is. It's not a feeling, although feelings can be attendant with love. Love is really a choice, an act of the will where we choose to love. That's how we can choose to love the unlovely. If it's purely based on feeling, we're not going to love a lot of people. And we're not going to consistently love the people that we even choose to love if it's solely based on feeling. No, love has to be a decision, a decision where we commit ourselves to other people. And this is the kind of love that God wants us to evidence. But look again carefully at this 11th verse. It says that we should love who? One another. Now, this is addressed, obviously, to believers, but what it's communicating to us is this. Look, if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, then I need to love not just those around me, but it needs to begin within the community of faith. I need to love my fellow Christians because let me guarantee you this. If you can't love your fellow Christian you're not about to love those outside the faith who differ from you so much. God wants us to be loving people. Loving that begins with the community of faith but extends to the world around us. And I would say to you, if I can't get my love for my fellow Christian right, then I can't even begin to imagine getting my love for those around me right. God wants us to love as He loves. Now, sometimes when we get a picture of what something is, it helps to think about the contrast. And that's what we see as we move into the 12th verse. After reminding us of the foundational truth that we're to love one another, we come to verse 12, and John paints a picture by showing an example of one who didn't love his brother, and that was Cain. Now, I used this terrible pun with my Bible study on Wednesday night, but I'm going to do it again. (laughs) Try to remember Cain if you are able. There, I got that out of the way. Now, let's talk about this. Remember the story of Cain. The book of Genesis shares with us the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4. And if you remember, Cain and Abel were bringing sacrifices to God. And part of what they were to do was worship God. So Abel brought the firstborn of his flock. And God looked upon that sacrifice with favor. Cain, on the other hand, brought the fruit of the ground, the things that he had done by his own hands and by his own work, and he brought that to God. And God did not look upon favor when it came to Cain's sacrifice. And he told him so. Now, Cain had two options. Option one, which would have been better, to listen to God and repent and do what God had asked him to do. Or, to resent his brother and out of competition and jealousy, reject his brother with the ultimate rejection, murder. And we all know which one he chose, don't we? 
Cain chose to murder his brother. And the Word of God presents this to us in Genesis chapter 4, verse 6. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It's desirous for you, but you must rule over it. In other words, God was calling Cain to repentance. The repentance of jealousy and repentance from jealousy and hate. And so God was saying to Cain, you need to turn from what's in your heart toward your brother and turn to me. So what we see John share with us in this text is a warning to us about the terrible outcome of hate. And notice it says in this 12th verse, we should not be like Cain. And look at how he's described who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. In other words, the actions of Cain better reflect the rebellion of the evil one, Satan, than the character and the nature of God. So John is laying this out for us so that we can see the importance of following the truth of God rather than following that tortured jealousy of Satan. God wants us not to be like Cain. Then look at what else we find in this 12th verse. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Because Cain functioned from hate and functioned from the standpoint and viewpoint of Satan... Rather than looking at his own deeds and saying, hey, these were not right and I need to turn from them, he persisted in them. And ultimately that led him to doing something that was irreversible, taking the life of his brother. And he went further into his lack of repentance and that he lied to God when God confronted him about it. That's where hatred and jealousy lead us. It brings us into this spiral where we sink deeper and deeper and deeper into it as we give ourselves over to it. It's like crouching at our door waiting for us just as Cain's hatred waited for him. So that's why we have this warning here in the Word of God. We aren't to be like Cain. We aren't to be like the evil one. We aren't to look at the righteous and resent them. And then look at the 13th verse. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Now, when I initially read the 13th verse, I thought, okay, that's a sidebar. John is saying, okay, you know, when when Cain hated his brother, that's kind of like the world hating us. I'm just going to take a tangent. But I don't think after further reflection it really is a tangent at all. You know what it's saying to us? Look, as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a believer, if I hate my brother, I'm being not only like Cain, but I'm being like the world system around us that operates from the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Rather than aligning myself with God, I'm aligning myself with that which stands opposed to God. And as a believer, that should not be a part of who I am. That should not be a description of my life. 
So God wants us to be people who do not hate, but who love. And then look at verses 14 and 15. Here's why. We have changed from death to life, and that is demonstrated by our love. Look at verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Now, this is a powerful statement. When we look at this text, what it's saying is this. When we were spiritually dead, we functioned by hate. That is a natural disposition of those who do not have the change that comes through the gospel and through the new life, the spiritual life that we're given by God. When John is talking to us in this text, what he's saying to us is, you are no longer a person who is characterized by hate. You have been changed. And the way this is framed in the original language, when John says in this text, we know that we have passed out of death into life, he uses a way in the original Greek of framing this in such a way that he's saying, look, this is completed. You're no longer spiritually dead. You are now spiritually alive. But this event that took place in your life, this conversion that took place, has ongoing results. And those ongoing results will be that you live differently. According to spiritual life, no longer living as the spiritually dead person you once were. God has changed all of us. And look at this statement, write the last sentence of that 14th verse. Whoever does not love abides in death. Now this is unsettling. If I'm not abiding in love, then what this is saying is I'm abiding in death. Now, this can have one of two interpretations. One interpretation is this. Look, if you are a believer and you are not loving, you are abiding in your old nature rather than your new nature. And you need to stop that. But there's something else that's being said here, and I think we need to think about that. If I am perpetually hating those around me, it opens up the question whether I have ever come to the place of spiritual life. Do I indeed have spiritual life in me? Have I come into a personal relationship with God and the transformation that that brings? If there has been no change in my desire to love and my ability to love, then I need to call into question whether or not I've truly trusted Christ as my Savior and have experienced the change that that trust brings. And as children of God, we need to be forewarned that God takes hatred very seriously. Look at the 15th verse. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. This is very strong language. Now, in order to understand this, we have to think about what it means to hate just as we were thinking about what it means to love. 
When it comes to hating, hating is the polar opposite of love, where love seeks good in others, and I don't mean seeks to find good, but to do good to others. Where love does that, hate wants to see harm and evil befall those who are the objects of our hate. And what the Word of God tells us is this, look, if I'm the kind of person that is constantly desiring horrible things to happen to the objects of my displeasure, then I am a person characterized by hate. And the very thought of wanting those bad things to happen to other people, in essence, is murder. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Very strong language that Christ uses. But that is the outcome of our hate. Now, let me frame this in this way. When John is talking about hatred, he is talking about persistent, ongoing hatred. Listen, there are those who will wrong you that you will struggle to forgive. You will find it difficult. But what the Word of God is telling us is that God begins that work of transformation and as a follower of Jesus Christ, I will be moving from hatred toward love. Sometimes it's a process. Sometimes God delivers us right away. We can struggle with it, but we will desire to abandon that hatred. And so what we need to do as a believer is ask ourselves, Am I one who seeks to put away hate, jealousy, murderous thoughts that I won't do just because I don't want to get caught? Or am I going to be that person who says this is something that is not pleasing to God, something that I need to abandon and turn to Him and love as Christ loved? This is what God is calling us to as followers. So let's talk about the characteristics of authentic Christian love. As we come to verse 16, we have the ultimate example. Christ perfectly modeled sacrificial love. And look at what the 16th verse says. By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. What better example of love could there be than our Lord Jesus Christ? His love gave it all. To those who had turned against Him, who hated Him, He extended sacrificial love. And so what the Word of God reminds us is this is the bar that is set This is the love that we're to strive toward. Now, I know that that bar is impossible for us to hit as human beings. 
But you know, the beauty of Scripture is this. When God commands us to do something, He provides the resources for us to carry it out. In the book of Colossians, Paul writes to the church at Colossae, and he says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now, what does it mean to put on these things? The imagery of that third chapter is that of putting off sin and putting on Christian virtues. And when we put on the Christian virtues, what we're doing, in essence is living according to the new life that we have in Christ. In other words, rather than feeding the hatred and rejection and all of the things that are attendant with that which is disobedient to our Lord, I say, no, I won't think like that. I won't live like that. I choose to pursue the things of God. And here's what we find. As I move toward the things of God, guess what happens? God empowers me to go further down that path. The Spirit of God works to transform me even more with my cooperation. And I will see transformation take place. This is what God calls us to do. We are to be like Jesus, sacrificial in our love in that we would even lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters in Christ. But then we come to that 17th verse. We can close our hearts to our brother's need. And when we do that, it isn't authentic love. I mean, let's be really brutally honest here. Most of us won't be called upon to lay down our life for a brother, right? It could happen, but most of us won't experience that decision. But you know the decisions we do face? It's those day-to-day, moment-by-moment decisions where I put love into practice. And it involves me stepping outside myself and being sacrificial. As we come to that 17th verse... Really, that's what John is talking about. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? So here's the scenario. I become aware of a need in a brother or sister in Christ. And the Spirit of God tweaks my heart And says, you've got some extra resources here. You help that person. I'm left with two decisions, right? Okay, God, I'll do that. I'll act on it. Or, nah, I'm going to keep heading down the path that I'm going down. I don't, somebody will help them, surely. 
I don't want to get involved. What the Word of God is telling us in a very practical way is this. Look, when you become aware of it and you have the resources to help, you help. That's what love does. Love steps up. Love becomes involved in others' needs, and it seeks to bless them. And what the Word of God is saying is this. Look, if I fail to meet this very basic test, then I am not abiding in that new spiritual life that God has given me. I'm living like my old self, not the new self that God is transforming and changing. You know, it's so easy to say the words, I'd lay down my life for the brothers and sisters in Christ. But then, when we perceive a need and we don't act on it, is that really love? Most of the time, God is going to call us to engaging in the needs of other people many more times than we will ever be called upon to sacrifice our lives. And if we fail to pass that test on the simple things, how in the world can we expect to pass a test on the big things? That's what the Word of God is saying to us. And listen, we're not always talking about money. Oh no, they're going to come talk to me again. Where's the nearest exit? I just can't deal with their drama, right? Well, guess what? They have needs. And we take time and we listen. Maybe it's coming alongside them and stepping outside ourselves and helping them do something that they need to do. There are many ways that we have resources that need to be invested in one another. And listen, that's what a caring community of believers does. We look at each other's lives and we engage in ministering to one another. That's the mark of true Christian love. And this is what God calls us to. This is what God wants of us. Which brings us to the last part of this passage. Verse 18. Little children... Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. You know, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Paula and I had been dating about six months. And we were in the car. I was taking her home to her house. And I looked over at her and I said, you know what? I love you. And in that tender moment, she said, you're full of beans. <laughs> I mean, look at her. Every guy that went out with her said, I love you. Right? She was a honey and still is. So when I said it, I meant it. She didn't know that. But I did. Improved it for three years after that. I demonstrated that my words were true. And listen, that's what God calls us to as far as our love for one another. 
I've heard Christians wax eloquent about the merits of love and how we're to love one another and the importance. And I've even heard them say loving things. But when push came to shove and they had to actually do something about the words, they failed miserably. We need to be people who deliver on our words. Word and tongue is easy. We can all form those words, I love you. Easy to say. But what about actually doing something? What about demonstrating that love by our actions? The Word of God is so practical. What it's saying to us is this. Don't just talk about love, but engage in showing love to one another. That's why it says, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Deed and truth. You know what it means to love truly? It means that my love matches up with God's description of love in His Word. That's the idea of loving and truth. And there are a couple of verses that talk about this. First Peter 1.22 says this, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. You never arrive in your love for one another. God wants it to be sincere. That is, unmixed. But He also wants it to be earnest. Do you think about how you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you pursue it? Do you desire it? This is what God wants of us. And this is where authentic faith really has rubber that meets the road. We're to love in that way. And then Paul says this, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Do you catch that? Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. That's the way God wants us to love, in this way. This morning, we've seen the importance of authentic love. We have seen that that is something that God calls us to. It's the most foundational and basic of His commands. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, get your love right. Learn what it is to not just love in word and tongue, but in deed and truth. Sometimes the most difficult thing in the world, and I'll close with this, is to love in deed. There are some people that you will be called upon to serve that you don't feel love toward. They've wronged you, they've hurt you, they've said painful things about you, and then God opens up an opportunity for you to minister to them. And rather than taking the easier path and saying, they don't deserve that. Look at what they did to me. You step outside yourself. 
and you say, you know what, they have a need, and I want to bless them, and I will step up, and I will bless them. Listen, I've had to practice that on many occasions as a follower of Jesus Christ. And you know what I've found? What a blessing that is. What a joy. And rather than changing the other person, you know what I find God does? He changes my sick and sinful and twisted heart. He says to me, Rob, problems in your attitude. I put this person in your life to test you, to change you, to challenge you. So depend on me. And love sacrificially as Christ loved. May we all grow in our love, loving one another, not in word and tongue, but in deed and truth.